What is that's the yeah. Amen. I asked him after service this morning. I said, Do you still play? He said, Well, I play keyboard. He doesn't really play the accordion anymore. So uh but wow, man, that's amazing. Any are there any ends to his talents, mind you? Amen. Praise God. Well, you know, um, I could say a lot about this husband and wife team and what they've accomplished and what they've done, but of all that stands out to me about them, their, their simple humility and graciousness, kindness, um, it's, uh, it's just a breath of fresh air. It's refreshing, brother. And so um, come tonight. Give Pastor Sam Chelly to arrive from Chennai, India, a warm welcome as he comes. And um, we are looking forward to what the Lord has prepared for us. Amen. Well, praise God. That was a wonderful service. Nice to see so many people. A little higher. Okay, we go. Nice to see so many people receive water baptism. Uh, this is something uh, we do 52 weeks in a year in our church. So many people are coming in, receiving the Lord, and taking water baptism. Every, every week, at least a half a dozen people, many times 10, 15 people taking baptism, joining. And I pray that one day, everywhere, that every day, people will be added like that to the church. Amen? Amen. So wonderful to be here with you and to enjoy this fellowship to see the church doing so well and moving forward with 20 years behind and behind the back and looking forward to the next 20 years <laughs> and uh, i pray that god will lead you and guide you and bless you and prosper you and make you a great blessing to this area here amen Please turn with you to Galatians chapter 3. Just like we did in the morning, we're going to look at a wonderful passage of scripture. I want to share about blessing today. Let me read you from verse 8 onwards all the way to verse 14. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 to 14. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then when they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the law, under curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is also another passage that is well known to us, but I'm, I love these passages that are well known to us, and I love to go into them and look at what they teach again and again. Paul is the greatest teacher of the Christian church. He has written half of the New Testament. So you need to listen to him because he's a God-inspired writer giving us the Christian teaching. Now, if you read the Gospels, the Gospels give us the account of Christ's birth, his life, his death on the cross, his sufferings and death, and then the resurrection and so on. They just narrate the story as it happened. But the epistles are different. The epistles give the meaning and the significance. That is why the epistles are taught in the church more than anything else. Because the epistles are a revelation of the gospel. You see, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you simply have the gospel stated as it is, that Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived and did miracles, taught these things, and then died on the cross, and then God raised him on the third day. All those events are recorded as it, has hap as it happened, and they are very important. But the epistles are even more important because they give us the meaning and the significance of these things, the interpretation of these things, what these things really mean for our lives today. And uh, Paul has written so many epistles, about a dozen epistles Paul has written for sure, we know. So, that is why we look into the epistles. Now, when you look into Galatians, you know that you're listening to a man whose eyes have been opened, who has begun to see Christ in a new light. Paul was a persecutor of the church, the greatest persecutor of the church. He went around shutting down churches, killing preachers. That was his past history. If you remember Paul's life, he was a Jew, a Pharisee, a very self-righteous Pharisee, was raised like that and studied in Jerusalem under one of the greatest Jewish teachers. But he has never met Jesus because he studied there before Jesus started his ministry. He went back to his native place, Tarsus, which was a Gentile city, some distance away from Jerusalem, far away from Jerusalem. And uh, in the meanwhile, Jesus began his ministry here and for three and a half years he went around, preached and then died on the cross and rose again. Now Jerusalem is different because the message concerning Jesus is now preached. The message is that Jesus is the Son of God come down from heaven in flesh and that he died and he rose again, that God raised him from the dead. And this message is spreading everywhere. Every street has heard the gospel. In the church, there are tens of thousands of people gathering in the Jerusalem church. They're worshiping. People are added every day to the church. I mean, the church is growing leaps and bounds and making a big impact. And the problem is that many of the Jews, devoted Jews, are turning to be Christians. So the Jews did not know what to do about this problem. A lot of Jews are getting converted to Christianity, believing in Jesus as Lord, that he rose from the dead. 
they caught Peter and John and they warned him not to preach about this Jesus anymore. But they wouldn't listen. They're preaching. And there is power in that preaching. People are getting healed. The blind open, our eyes are opened and lame walk and things happen, you know. They couldn't stop the progress of Christianity. So they thought about how to do, how to stop this thing. They thought about Saul, the man, young man who was so intelligent, so brilliant, studied under Gamaliel, the best student that they had under Gamaliel, made a mark for himself even as he studied there with his clever arguments in favor of Judaism and so on. So they thought about Paul and said, let's bring Paul back here. He was Saul at that time. Let's bring Saul back here. He is needed right now because he's a zealot. He's a man who is full of zeal for the, for the Jude, Jude, Jewish religion. He will come and he will present arguments in favor of, favor of Jewish religion, which no one can answer. And all these people that are turning to Christianity will stop turning to Christianity. And even those that have turned will come back to uh, Judaism. This was their calculation, so they went to Tarsus and brought Saul back. And now Saul is back in Jerusalem. He has never met Jesus, but he now sees this new phenomenon, Christianity spreading everywhere. People are turning to Christ, proclaiming Christ as Lord. Thousands of people are joining together and worshiping Jesus. So he began his persecution of the church. And... Uh, He's, he was behind Stephen's killing, if you remember. The Bible says that when Stephen was stoned and killed, the people that stoned him and killed him put their belongings at the feet of Saul. It looks like here is the, he is the organizer. He's standing there watching the whole thing and letting it happen. As Stephen was told, he was standing there and uh, watching and people had their belongings at his feet. And something happened on that day in Saul's life. He hated Christ. He thought he, here is a heretic who claims to be the son of God, who claims that he is God. Here is a heretic that claims that people should worship him. And people are worshiping him. He hated that because as a Jew, it was something that he cannot accept. Cannot accept at all, you know. So... The persecution was there and Stephen was being killed. On the day when Stephen was killed and stoned, right before he died, Stephen looks up into heaven. And the story is found in Acts chapter 7. I'm sure you've read it. Looks up into heaven and sees Jesus standing up at the right hand of God. And he prays a prayer. He says, Father, do not charge them with this sin. What they've done, do not charge it against them. Forgive them. This is his prayer. Now, Saul was a righteous man, according to his own calculations, according to the Jewish law. Very proud Pharisee. Very religious man. Followed his religion very strictly. But he has never seen anything like this. Here, is, here are people stoning him. And this guy is praying for them, saying, Father, forgive them. He has heard about Jesus doing that. People have said that Jesus, when hung on the cross, he, cried, he, he prayed to the Father, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But here is a man who has believed in Jesus, 
and by believing in Jesus has become like Jesus. Something has happened inwardly. He's a transformed, changed person. Saul couldn't believe it. And on that day, his heart was impacted by this thing. He saw how he being a religious man was filled with hate that he could just stand there and see a man being stoned and killed. How horrible it is for a religious man to stand there and have somebody stone this innocent guy just for preaching the gospel and watch it. And here is an innocent man dying, praying, saying, God, forgive them. Paul began to question his own religion. He says, why couldn't my religion change me? Why couldn't the things that I believe change me on the inside? I'm just like any sinner. I'm just like a murderer. I'm murdering a person. I'm watching a person being murdered. And I have no conscience at all. I'm watching and enjoying it. What kind of a person I am? What kind of a religion is this Judaism? What has been taught to me? What has it made of me? that I could stand here and watch and justify doing that while an innocent man is being killed. He began to question his religion on that day. And that went on, I believe, for several days and weeks and months. And then only he goes on the road to Damascus to carry out further persecution with all this thing happening in his heart, the questions about his own religion, doubts about his own faith, traveling on the road to Damascus and he meets Jesus and sees him for the first time and gives his heart to him and his life to him and becomes the preacher of the gospel. But when he goes on the road to Damascus and meets Jesus and goes to the town of Damascus and stays there for three days and meets Ananias, Ananias comes and prays for him, his eyes are opened and so on. All the Bible scholars teach and believe that he immediately set off to Arabia for three years. For three years he went off into Arabia. Why? What did he do there? All the great Bible teachers say the, the, he went there and he began, he was a man who knew Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, almost by heart, you know. He knew every passage, he could comment on everything, he was very thorough with it, he was a scholar in the Old Testament. He never saw Jesus in the Old Testament. He never found the gospel there. He never found anything about Jesus. Now he went into Arabia for three years. He devoted himself to studying the Old Testament all over again, because that's all that was there at that time. There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There was no uh, epistles and so on. He was supposed to write the epistles, most of it. So he studied the Old Testament went through it all over again, studied, started reading from Genesis all the way down, analyzing what he knew in light of what he has experienced and that Jesus Christ he has met. And began to see Jesus in every page of the Old Testament. In every page he began to see Jesus. And his eyes were opened, he had a flood of revelation, a mighty revelation, you know. He was a man of revelation. He says it in another place that he had too much revelation. The eyes were open. He began to understand the truth like never before. He sees exactly the opposite now. He sees Jesus from the very first page of the Bible. 
and comes back from there, then only he begins to preach everywhere. Producing arguments in favor of Christ and Christianity that no one could answer. People want to kill him because they can't answer him. You know, that's what happens when people can't answer you. They want to beat you, you know, and kill you because they don't have an answer for what you're saying. Became a great preacher of the gospel. He understood the gospel like never before. He had the Arabian experience, considered the Old Testament and saw Christ everywhere and began to preach Christ. And it is as a result of that revelation, he wrote Galatians. What he teaches in Galatians, you thought I left Galatians and forgot it, didn't you? <laughs> I never forget. I always stay with my scriptures. I'm still talking about what I read. What he writes in Galatians about the cross, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Where did he get that? The laws in the Old Testament. The curse of the law is mentioned in the Old Testament. Blessing is mentioned in the Old Testament. Abraham is mentioned in the Old Testament. The blessing of Abraham is in the Old Testament. Right? So, he has considered the Old Testament. He sees everything differently now. Totally everything is different now. So he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So that the blessing of Abraham might come to us, the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He's talking about cursing, blessing Abraham and his blessing and so on. He's reinterpreting the Old Testament, completely reworking the Old Testament and showing what the gospel is all about. He understands the gospel now. He sees that the gospel, if you read from Genesis, I mean, uh, Galatians chapter 3, in the first verse itself, if you read, if you read from the very first verse, he, you will find him saying, for example, not in the first verse, but uh, if you read from... Uh, uh, from a little later on, if you read, you will hear him saying that this gospel that was hidden and was a mystery in Ephesians chapter 3, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 3 from the first verse, if you read, he will say that this gospel that was hidden and was kept as a mystery for ages and ages, not understood by people, is now revealed. Hello. He himself did not understand it. He was one of the most educated men, scholar. He didn't understand. And let me read to you that passage a little bit. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1 onwards. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me, to you word, how this by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. He says, this is a revelation made known to me by a revelation. It's a mystery made known to me by a revelation. And I've written about it previously, he says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the, uh, in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages was not made known unto, unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. See, he says, it was not made known previously, but now it's made known by the, to the apostles by the Spirit. And then he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promises in Christ by the gospel. See, he couldn't understand how Gentiles could receive salvation because the Jews taught under, you know, in the Old Testament, the Jews misunderstood the law and everything. They thought that salvation is only for the Jews. Then why are Gentiles there in the world? You know what they believed? They believed that Gentiles are there because in hell, God needed firewood. I mean, you read it. This is the way they believed, that God needed a lot of firewood for hell, and Gentiles are born and they live in this world, and their destiny is hell. They are to burn in hell. That's why God has made them. Salvation is only for the Jews. This is what they believed. This is one of the reasons he opposed the gospel. He was against the gospel because the gospel was now received by the Gentiles and they are added to the church also. And he hated the idea of joining with the Gentiles and mixing with the Gentiles. Now he says, this is a mystery. I did not understand it. Neither did my fellow men of the old uh, did, uh, understand it. None of us understand it, but now it is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. This great mystery has come to me as a revelation. I now see the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand the gospel, he says. And according to him, what is the gospel? Go back to Galatians 3. According to him, the gospel is the revelation concerning how God has made the blessing of Abraham available for everybody now. Before, under the Old Testament, the Jewish people thought that the blessing of Abraham believes, be, belongs only to the children of Abraham. Those who are, according to the flesh, children of Abraham. The descendants of Abraham, of the Jewish race. They believed that. Now he says, the gospel says, the gospel is this, is this he says, he says, the gospel is about the blessing. I love preaching this in India <laughs> because people think we're preaching some religion. I shock them. I say, it's not religion. You know what our gospel is? The gospel is about blessing. And they all sit and listen, you know. I preached hundreds a week about blessing. The gospel is the good news about the blessing, about the blessing of Abraham coming to all and each and every one of us. It's about the blessing. The gospel is about the blessing. That's the essence of this whole passage, Galatians chapter 3, that I read about. What is the gospel? The gospel is the blessing. It's the good news about the blessing. How everyone can be blessed. Now, what is blessing? Now, just like I said in the morning service, the Western society has gotten rid of the idea of sin. Right? Sin is out of the, out of the whole thinking now. In Europe, if you go, if you talk about sin, they think something wrong with your mind. You need to belong in the mental hospital because you're talking about sin. What's wrong with you? There is no such thing as sin, they say. There is only crime. You need police. And there is only 
sickness and you need a hospital, there is no sin, therefore we don't need God. See, sin needs God to set it right. You don't need God. So if a person does wrong things and lives bad and kills and does all kinds of things, admit him in a hospital, you know, that's the best you can do because he needs treatment, you know. That's the approach that has come all over the world now. Not only in the Western world, it is spreading to the East also now. Gotten rid of sin. In the same way, the Western world has completely lost the idea of blessing. In India, if you're getting married, on the day of marriage, the more interior you go into India, you will find this, that when you get married, they, one of the things that they have to arrange for and prepare for is to find an old man with gray hair. Why? If you don't have one among you, you need to go out and get somebody. Maybe to the next town or next city, some hundred miles away, get somebody from your family, preferably an old man, a man that is a blessed man. And bring him to the wedding and make him sit there or stand there and bring the couple who just got married. They both fall at his feet and he blesses them. This is called gray hair blessing, literally. Gray hair blessing. So some of you guys got gray hair, you got job there, you know, in India. <laughs> gray hair blessing. This is really, I mean, this is real. In India, that's why I love preaching in India, because these people understand certain things and believe certain things. They certainly believe blessing. Not only do they believe gray hair blessing, they also believe that blessing is something good and any elderly person ought to bless the younger person. So a younger person, when he meets an older person in general, will touch his feet and ask for his blessing. As he touches the feet of the elder man, the younger man will show his head and the elder man will lay his head on him. It's a blessing. He will say, be well, be blessed and be prosperous, he will say. This is an Indian custom, you see, to go and seek a blessing from somebody. It's very important from your teachers, from your gurus, <laughs> from your parents. Even the parents' feet are touched, you know, by the children. The children receive the blessing of the parents when they go somewhere out of town or come back from a trip or something like that. This is a normal custom. They believe in the blessing. But the problem is, I also often ask them, you believe in the blessing, that's wonderful. Do you know what blessing is? They say, well, that we need the blessing, sir. You know, we, we all need the blessing, you know, something good. You, you know, we'll turn out good if we had the blessing. They understand that much. But they don't know in detail what the blessing is. And they also believe in cursing, that if someone curses, they're going to have some misfortunes. <laughs> so they want to avoid cursing at all times. So when you ask them what blessing is, they don't know in detail what blessing is. But the Bible, that's why I like the Bible, it teaches us what blessing is. It teaches us about blessing, but teaches us what blessing is. The word blessing occurs in the Bible in the very first chapter of Genesis for the first time. Now, in, by interpreting the Bible, there is a law. They say the law of first occurrence. The law of first occurrence in interpreting the Bible says that when you're studying something like blessing, go and find where that word occurs for the first time in the Bible. And in that place where it occurs the first time, you will find more information regarding that subject than anywhere else. 
This is something that Bible scholars have found. The law first occurred. So if you, if you use that and go back to Genesis 1, if you read verse 20 and 21 and 22, it is talking about how God made the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And after he got through making them, putting the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, he blessed them, the Bible says. That's the first time the word blessing occurs in verse 22. He blessed them and blessed them and said what? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the oceans and fill the air. The fish must fill the oceans and the birds must fill the air. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill. That's the blessing. So what is blessing? Immediately, great information is given about blessing. What is blessing? Blessing is the power, the ability, the anointing. This divine ability given by God himself to be fruitful, to multiply, and fill. That is what blessing is. Now, if you go in the same chapter, go to verse 28, where God has made man now. You know, in verse 26, he says, let's make man in our image and likeness. Verse 27 says, he made man as male and female. In his image did he make man. And then verse 28 says, and then God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and dominate. He said this and blessed them. God blessed them, it says. Now, verse 28 is the first occurrence because that's the first place where blessing is spoken over man. It's a very important verse. Genesis verse 28. This, the Bible teachers call it cultural mandate. This is an announcement that God is making. What man should be, what his life should be, what kind of a person should he be? What is man? How should he be? What kind of a person should he be? God saying, be fruitful. So man must be fruitful. God is saying, multiply. So man must have the ability to multiply. Fill. So man must have the ability to fill everything that has been emptied. If your pocket is emptied, you have the power to fill it back again. <laughs> if you emptied your money, <laughs> you have the ability to fill it back again. If you emptied your food, you know how to fill it back again. God made man like that. God didn't make man as a loser. That is why it's called a cultural mandate. God didn't make man as a person who cannot do anything. That whenever he needs something, he just says, oh God, what, what can I do? I'm just a human, you know. God never made man like that. Don't ever say, I'm just a human. To be a human is an amazing thing. God made a man and woman and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue and dominate. Now he adds two more things here that was not there when he spoke to the birds and the fish. To the birds and the fish it was only be fruitful, multiply and fill. That's the ability that even animals have given by God. But man has two abilities that are not granted to animals. This is what makes us different and totally different from animals. We are not another animal like some people teach, you know. See, people who have made a big mistake in the universities teaching that we are just another animal. No wonder some people behave like animals, you know. Because you just teach them they're animals and what do you expect, you know, that's what they end up to be. We are not animals. We are made in the image and likeness of God. 
Animals are on one level, we are on another level. What makes us different is that we not only have the ability to be fruitful, multiply and fill, we have the ability to subdue and dominate. What is subduing and dominating? Subduing and dominating is having power to bring our, in, to order everything that goes wrong. That is what subduing is. To dominate is to be on top of everything. Not be at the bottom. Not be given to all kinds of you know, evil habits and things like that and say, well, I'm powerless. I, can't, I just can't manage without it. I can't do it. You know, I can't rise about it. No, God has made you a human being in his image and likeness. I tell you, my friend, you can beat any addiction. You can beat any habit. You can beat anything that rules over you. Nothing should dominate you. Alcohol should not dominate you. Drugs should not dominate you. Defeatist thinking should not dominate you. Failure thinking should not dominate you. Failure should not dominate you. Why? Because you are made in the image and likeness of God. You are to be like God, subduing and dominating. That is a blessing of God. What is blessing then? Blessing is the ability to be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue and dominate. It's an ability and an anointing given to man by God. Oh, I get thrilled when I think about that. God has given to us that ability. Don't be afraid of this world. Don't be afraid of your future. <laughs> and God demonstrated it also. See, first, the very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. And then in verse 2 it says, the world, eh, the world was without form and it was void and darkness was upon the face of the earth. So there was a problem. God created heaven and earth. Second verse says there was a problem. What is the problem? There was chaos, emptiness and darkness. Look at here. This is how Bible begins. They could have begun the Bible so many ways. <laughs> you know, when you write a book or something like that, and, you know, I, have, I write articles for our magazine and so on, the starting is the problem. How do you want to start it, you know? <laughs> Once you get started, you can go easily. Starting is the problem. And somehow the Bible... God has chosen to start it like this. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. There was, uh, the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was upon the face of the earth. Why does the Bible start like that? That God created everything and in the created world, there was a problem. God has created, but something seems to be wrong there. There was chaos, emptiness and darkness. It's not that God has done something wrong. Something seems to be, in, to be incomplete. There is something more needed. The chaos has to be removed. The emptiness needs to be filled with good things. Darkness has to depart and light has to come. Something needs to be changed. So God did not look at the chaos, emptiness and darkness and cry for the next thousand years. Oh brother, you don't know the chaos. You don't know the darkness. You don't know how you know, difficult it is. It's all empty. My bank account is empty. My shelf is empty. My fridge is empty. My car tank is empty. <laughs> you don't know what problem I have. 
My pocket is empty. Wallet is empty. <laughs> now you do that for next thousand years, you will not even get one dollar to even put it in. You will not be taking out one dollar even from your wallet if you do that. God says when you see chaos, when you see in your home a problem, the devil comes in there and tears up the family. The devil comes in there and tears up your children, destroys your family, and runs rampant in your family, ruining everything. What do you do? Look at God. There was chaos, emptiness, and darkness. What did God do? He says, let there be light. There was light. And then after that, it's all let there be, let there be, let there be. Whatever he said, following let there be, it was. And it was good. Three, three phrases appear again and again in the cha first chapter. One is God said. Second is, and it was so. That means whatever God said, it was so. It happened, just like he said. Third is, and it was good. God said... It was so, and it was good. Let's all say it. God said, and it was so, and it was good. After doing this for 25 verses again and again, God said, it was so, and it was good. This he does for six days. Six days he goes on saying something, and exactly as he said, things were created, and he looks at the things that were created and calls them good. After six days of doing it, After all this, in verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image and likeness. I still remember studying in Bible college, we came to this verse. They're talking about what is the image and likeness of God. I can tell you truthfully, I did not understand one thing in the discussion. What is the image and likeness of God? I broke my head trying to say, in what way is man like God? Is he in height like God? In weight like God? In color like God? In what way? Some people are very, very, you know, particular. Is God white or God black, you know? Or God brown? Or God yellow? It seems very important to them. <laughs> they think God must be defined by color. Because they don't understand God. What? What is the image of God that the Bible is talking about? What is God like? What is God's image? You know, after all these years, you know, so every, for everybody, the eyes have to be open to understand the Bible. I can now just understand just like that. It's very simple. I'll show you. You'll say, my God, this is so simple. How come I didn't understand it? What is the image of God? It says, let's make man in our image and likeness. What is the image and likeness that God made man into me? What is God's image? In the first 25 verses, we see that God is someone who says out of his mouth, and whatever he says comes to pass, and whatever comes to pass by his words are good things. Therefore, that is the image of God. Who is God? The God that I know. I have never seen God. I have never seen God till this day. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Why we believe that he is? See, 
Before I met Pastor Mark, Brother Jerry told me about him. I believed that there was a Pastor Mark because I've never seen him. But after I see him, I don't have to believe that he is. I know that he is because I've seen him with these eyes. Faith has to do with things not seen. As soon as you see, you don't need faith. Right? Some people say, when I get healed, I'll believe. Well, after you get healed, you don't have to believe. It's when you're not healed, you have to believe, you see. Faith has to do with things not seen. So, listen carefully then. What is the image and likeness of God? The image and likeness of God is this image that is presented in the first 25 verses, that he's a God who speaks, and whatever he speaks comes to pass, and by speaking he brings to pass everything that is good, and man being made in the image and likeness of God ought to be like that. He's a man, must be a man of his word, he must speak and bring to pass, and whatever he brings to pass by his speaking must be good. That is why in New Testament, James chapter 3, he says many people fail in many things, but a man, if a man fails in his words, he's not a perfect man. The words of the mouth is what makes a man perfect man. What does it mean? It means if you know the power of your words and you're able to speak life through your mouth and bring to pass good things in your life by believing and speaking those things, then you are a man in the image and likeness of God. That is how you are supposed to dominate. Hello. That's how you're supposed to dominate. That's how God dominated. God had a problem. There was chaos, emptiness, and darkness. He didn't cry about it. He didn't go everywhere, you know, lamenting about it. He fixed it. He fixed it by the words of his mouth. He got it right. The beautiful world that you see came together and came to pass as a result of God's wonderful words that he spoke out of his mouth. And you, my friend, I'm, to I, I, I'm told in the Bible, you and I are made in the image and likeness of God. That means we can take a situation that is chaotic, situation that is filled with darkness and no hope, a situation where there is no light, you cannot see even a ray of light, a situation where you see emptiness, where there is nothing, no blessing, you can turn it into a beautiful beautiful thing. You can begin a life without anything. You can start from scratch. You may have nothing today, but if you be begin to understand what this salvation is all about, what Jesus Christ is all about. Jesus Christ and salvation, according to Paul, the greatest preacher of the church, who received a revelation from heaven, from God, about the whole gospel. What is this revelation? What is the gospel? He says, it's the blessing. It's the good news about the blessing. And what is the blessing? The blessing is the ability to turn your situations around. To turn it around. Make it good. Take everything that's wrong, gone wrong and gone chaotic. Take everything that is ruined and destroyed and again make it into something good. I don't know why I'm preaching about this today. But I'm telling you, God wants you and I to do that. 
In life, we face chaos, emptiness and darkness in many ways. Many people face it. I'm a pastor and I deal with so many people and it's my experience that when you preach this, I'll tell you, there's always people out there that's going through chaos in their life, emptiness in their lives and darkness in their lives. This is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not about some religion and about this and that. The gospel about this fact that you are a man originally made in the image and likeness of God. Having the power and the ability and the anointing to turn things around. But what happened to man? It's very sad. What happened to man? He lost that by sin. Adam's sin is what made the world as it is today. Some of us have made such a mess of our lives because of this thing called sin. Sin has dominated our lives since Adam. Our forefather brought sin into the world and the sin has entered into our hearts. And when the sin enters into the heart, you cannot live in peace in your family. It tears you up, breaks up the family, destroys it, ruins it and, and breaks it into a thousand pieces. Sin is like that. It's destructive. It is death. It causes destruction. Sin is terrible. When sin is in a person's life, that person is not going to make it, my friend, because the wages of sin is death. That means ultimately it's going to lead to total, utter, absolute destruction. That is what it's going to lead to. That's the nature of sin. That's what it did to Adam. Adam lost everything, lost the garden, got, lost the blessing, lost the beautiful ability that God has given to him. Everything became a man, a sinner. And the more generations passed, they've totally forgot about blessing. <laughs> and then God had to begin all over again. That's why he picked up Abraham, a man that didn't even know God. He was born in a place like India where they were worshipping idols. His forefathers, they say, were making idols. They were manufacturers of idols and sellers of idols for worship. He was born in a family like that. He was probably selling idols and worshipping idols and living as a heathen in the world. And God goes and calls him. And he believes in the living God. Nobody in the world knows about God. God picks this one man not just to bless that man, See, some people talk about the faith and the, I mean, the blessing of the Jewish people. I really believe the Jewish people are blessed, but I believe that God's intention was not just to bless the Jewish people. God's intention is always to bless all the people. That's the gospel. Then why God blesses the Jewish people very specially in the Old Testament? Because by blessing that one family, the family of Abraham, Abraham and his children, God shows to the world what will happen to a man who trusts in him, who follows him. Only a sample, that's it. That is why Paul now believes Jesus died on the cross, he says, became a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham, the special blessing that belonged to Abraham, God distinguished Abraham from the rest of the world. No kings could defeat him. Nobody could do anything to him. No famine could kill him. No problem could destroy him. That was the blessing of Abraham. God marked Abraham and made him so special. 
And now Paul says, God wants to do that to everybody. And we thought it's only to Abraham. But it's for everybody. God chooses that man and blesses him immensely. Immensely. Right in the middle of a big famine, he runs into Egypt to find some food. He comes out as a very rich man with gold and silver, cattle, and male and female servants. And I don't have the time to go into the story. Amazing story. How he turns rich in the midst of the biggest recession in the world. The next chapter talks about how four kings come against his nephew Lot and take him captive and slave his whole entire family along with the country of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham pursues the four kings and their armies with 318 household servants. They're not army men. Just people that were taking care of his cattle. He goes after the four kings and their armies and defeats them and completely takes everything they've got and brings them back and retrieves all that was lost. Lot and his family and everybody. That's what is called blessing, the power of blessing. When you are blessed, that's what you'll have. When God chose Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, you read about the blessing of Abraham. I'll bless you, make a great nation of you, and make your name great. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In those two verses, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, in those two verses, five times the word blessing occurs. In other words, Abraham, this idol-worshipping man, when he first met God, God is speaking to him. And if you asked Abraham when you get to heaven, what did God tell you, Abe? You know, he'll say, he said, blessing, 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 blessing. He just talked about blessing. God was simply telling him, Abraham, believe me, I'll bless you. Why? He was living under a curse. The whole world is operating under a curse because of Adam's sin. And God in that world picks up one man and says, I want you to be different. I want you to operate under a curse, under a different force and a power and come under a different realm completely. The whole world is in the realm of darkness. I want you to live in the light and walk in the light and be blessed and be a different man. Not only Abraham, he said, I'll do it for your children also. So Isaac was blessed like that. There was a famine just like in the days of Abraham, the Bible says, in Isaac's day. And he was also blessed like that in a foreign land. Nobody's well had water. Wherever Isaac dug a well, there was water. Read the Bible in chapter 26 of Genesis. Amazing story. Wherever he dug, there was water. People were so shocked, you know. How come this man is so special? How come his well has water? How come his land is growing? In verse 12 of chapter 26, it says, in that land of famine where everybody has run away to Egypt to find food, Isaac sowed and he reaped a hundredfold. That's the power of blessing. When everybody is suffering, here is a man who's reaping a hundredfold. Jacob, the same way. His father and tried to cheat him and take everything that he had. But God blesses him. Jacob himself tells the story to his wives. Your father, he says, tried to cheat me out of everything. But God took from him and gave it to me, he says. Amazing. You believe God can take from the people that tried to take it away from you and rip you off and take everything that you got and leave you empty? You believe God can reach out and take that and give it to you? 
I believe it can happen, my friend. God is a powerful God. God did that to Jacob. God did that to Joseph. They put, threw him in a pit. They sold him. They threw him in jail. They did everything they could do to keep that man down. They couldn't keep him down. He came up. How far did he come up? He became the prime minister of Egypt. You can't go any higher. Only the king is higher. Went to the topmost post. As a slave, he went in there, rose to the topmost power. Amazing. That's the power of blessing. What made him rise to the top is the power of blessing. See, blessing is like this. When we were little kids, we used to go to the swimming pool, take a football. I'm not the American football. I'm talking about the soccer ball. See, soccer ball. We used to take that to the swimming pool and take it down into the deepest part of the pool, nine feet deep, and leave it there and come up. And before we come up, the ball will be up. The ball literally shoots up like that. Have you ever noticed that? Shoots up faster than you, it will come up. Why? Because there is something in the ball that makes it do that. The air that's in the ball that makes it rise. And I tell you, there is something in you. There is something in me. A divine blessing that is in me and you that makes us shoot up and come up. See, since Adam sinned, we lost it. And Paul now says that Christ has redeemed us from that curse. He has turned things around for us. We were failure people. We were in failure, living in failure, dominated by other things. We lost our lives. We completely ruined our lives because of sin. We lost the blessing. But what has Jesus done? What is Jesus all about? He has come to give what? Some people say he's come to give us heaven. When we die, one day we'll go to heaven. True, but that's not the point. He has come to make, a, make you and I the man that we were meant to be in the beginning. That is not going to happen when we get to heaven. Right now it's going to happen, my friend. Right now, you and I receive the blessing. The blessing of Abraham is ours. Jesus died. Paul, what a revelation. This Jewish man, this Pharisee who never saw the cross in the Bible, who never saw Jesus in the Old Testament, never understood the gospel from the Old Testament, never saw anything about the gospel, all of a sudden has his eyes opened and gets a great revelation. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon you and I. <laughs> That's the reason Jesus died. That's the reason Jesus died on the cross. He took our curse so that the original blessing that God gave to Adam, that is what later on became the blessing of Abraham. That original blessing can return to us. That God can return us back to himself. Bring us back to himself. And restore his plan and purpose for our lives. And make us the men and women that we ought to be. Blessed. Blessed. And therefore I say to you today, 
What is the gospel? It's about blessing. It's about receiving the blessing. What is blessing? It's an ability, anointing. Divine ability, divine anointing that God, God gives. What does that ability do? It makes me to multiply. Be fruitful. Fill. I will no more live an empty life. I will no longer live a failure life. I, will, I am no longer going to live a life of fruitlessness, useless life. No, that life doesn't belong to me. I was never meant to be like that. I am meant to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill, and to subdue and dominate. Not afraid of the challenges, the problems, the difficulties, the things that I face in this world. We live in a bad world and you'll face a lot of difficult things, my friend. But we are not afraid of that. Why? Because we are the blessing, a power that is bigger than any power in the world. With blessing, Abraham went against four kings and one. With just household servants, he won a battle against king and his men. With blessing, you can win in this world. With blessing, you can rise to the top in the world. With blessing, you can overcome every obstacle in the world. With blessing, you can begin in, with scratch today. With nothing today. You may have nothing today. With blessing, you begin. I'll tell you, you'll be somewhere tomorrow. You have a future. <laughs> to me, that is what coming to Jesus Christ means. That I become the kind of man that I was originally meant to be. Without Christ, I am not the man that I'm supposed to be. But with Christ and through salvation, I am the man that God originally meant for Adam to be. Every single one today can be that. Not one person need to say, well, I'm just a failure in life. And this is it, you know, I'm gone. Gone case, you know. Nothing good can happen. In no, no, no. God is a great redeemer. Redeemer means he can make good anything. <laughs> he can take anything and make it good. And I tell you, for everyone, this kind of life is promised. And I want to pray for you today. Amen. Let's all stand together. Praise you, Jesus. The blessing. That's the greatest thing that God gives. You know, I don't know how people live without this blessing. <laughs> it's difficult to live without this blessing, my friend. I'm telling you. The world out there is very difficult without this blessing. But with this blessing, you'll find things are a bit easier. It'll be a lot easier. You'll find doors opening before you, God helping you, God going before you, God giving you wisdom, God giving you the right ideas. God giving you favor. That's what blessing is. God making things happen. How many of you say you want that in your life? Amen? Don't live without blessing. If you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never received this blessing, never, never ever given your life to the Lord, never realized why Jesus died on the cross to save you and what salvation means, today realize it's about blessing. 
receive it. Open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life, O Lord. Be my Lord. Be my strength and my power. Bless me with the blessing of Abraham. Make me the kind of man that I am supposed to be, the kind of woman that I was meant to be. Restore to me all the dignity and the joy of your salvation. Restore to me everything that belongs to me as a human being. Make me a winner. Help me to rise above all the problems. Help me overcome all the difficulties. Be my Lord today and every day of my life. I'll follow you. I'll walk with you. This can be your prayer today. And I'll tell you, your life will be different. You talk to God and say that today. And your life will be different. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come. We thank you, Father, for your presence in our midst. And I pray that these words will enter into the hearts of these dear people, that no one that is here today will ever walk one more day without blessing, without the blessing of God. That they will live in the blessing of God, walk in the blessing of God, they will know the blessing of God every day. Your presence, your wisdom, your favor, your guidance, your help in every situation that you will find, they will find that you are right there with them. I pray that this, will, this truth will become a reality. That the blessing of Abraham has become ours. That we walk every day in the blessing. Pray for each and every one. Pray for people that are struggling, that have never walked in the blessing, never knew what the blessing is. I pray that today they will enter into that blessing. The door is open. The invitation is there. And God is waiting for them, for them to come and be joined into the family. And I pray that they will do it today if they have never done it before and walk with you and be blessed in everything that they do and prosper and see a great future and accomplish your purposes in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much, Pastor Sam. Rich word tonight. I hope you have um, received it, amen, and believe it and begin to walk in it. Thank you for being here this evening. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. If you see one of our folks that were baptized tonight, be sure and congratulate them. Wish them well. And um, again, we love you. We'll see you Wednesday night, if not before. Good things coming. <laughs>